Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in D.C., and with me are... I'm Hui Chen Bui, a contributor to USA Today and a pop culture journalist in the D.C. area. I am Anya Crittenton, an editor and writer for Entertainment Earth News. So, today we are going to be discussing one of my very favorite topics, and I think a topic that H.T. and Willoughby also love, which is Disney. Now, Disney started as an animation studio, and that's what they are mostly known for. But today, we're going to be talking about what happens when they take their animated classics and turn them on their head by making them live action. A little bit of history is that Disney started out with live action quite early on. Their first full live action film was Treasure Island in 1950. And they started doing more and more since then. Almost the entirety of the 60s and 70s, almost every film they put out was live action. They only had a handful of animated films. Um, A plug for a really great documentary is Waking Sleeping Beauty. And they discussed this in there at the beginning, how Walt himself started turning more towards live action and looking away from animation. So the same live action is nothing new. No, it's nothing new. They've been doing it since pretty early on, and they've done it ever since then. It's a very important part of the studio these days. Um, We're going to be discussing the animated classics turned into live action, but they have a whole branch of films that aren't based on their animated films that have done really well. They have the cult classic Tron. They have the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. They have all these films that make them a lot of money and are extremely successful, But specifically, what happens when they take these classics, these animated classics that are so beloved and beautiful in their animation and turn them into live action? What do they do with them to make them new? Um, They have been, they did this a little bit in the 90s. Jungle Book was turned into a live action film in 1994 and 101 Dalmatians was turned into a live action film in 96. And then it kind of petered off. They did those two and then nothing else. And now suddenly it is a big thing, as I'm sure you all heard of. Tons of remakes coming out. Um, HT, what are some of the remakes of their animated classics currently? All right. Well, the current surge in live action adaptations really started with Alice in Wonderland. um, And then it kind of continued with Maleficent and Cinderella, which came out last year. And now we're going to be seeing a whole state. This year. came out oh, this year. came out this year. I'm sorry. Yeah, like in January, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, January, February, Mar- around there. March, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a great movie. But they're, um, after the moderate success of some of those movies, they have a whole spate of even more live-action adaptations. And that includes Beauty and the Beast, um, another Jungle Book, which is coming out simultaneously with uh, one from another studio, um, a genie movie based off of the character in Aladdin, Mulan, Dumbo, Winnie the Pooh, which is going to be focused on a grown-up Christopher Robin. Like a hook situation. A hook situation, um, which we'll see how that ends up. And sort of like an Alice in Wonderland situation, Mm -hmm. too. Where they have a grown-up character who's traditionally a a child, and kind of the whole point of the original movie was to see the world from a child's perspective. So it'll be interesting how they change that perspective. Um, and then we have also Pinocchio, which is supposedly being directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Very interesting director for a children's movie. And, um, and starring who? 
Robert Downey Jr. as Geppetto, and his wife, actually, Susan Downey, is going to be producing as well. I love Susan Downey. She's great. Yeah. I like it. She, like, calmed him down. <laughs> <laughs> and then a couple more we have are Night on the Bald Mountain, which is about the Chernobog creature from Fantasia. If any of you saw that as a kid, I'm sure you remember him from Your Nightmares. <laughs> or from Kingdom Hearts, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was a big trauma for me. Cause I, <laughs> I was so terrified of that character, and when he came up again in Kingdom Hearts, I literally screamed the entire time I was fighting him. That's not good. <laughs> um, and next we have Pete's Dragon, which is a remake of a kind of half-live-action, half-animated movie from, I think, the 60s. Um, and a Sword in the Stone one, uh, one of many King Arthur at Camelot movies. But this one is based off, actually off the animated movie from 1953. 63. 63, Kind of like how the Jungle Book movie that's coming up is based off of the Jungle Book uh, animated film and not the book by Rudyard Kipling. Yeah. But yes. the other Jungle Book movie that's coming out a year later is based on the Rudyard Kipling book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so because so, this one's going to have bare necessities and like the songs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the yeah. trailers they did have little like whistling of the bare necessities. So. I just, I really, I just, I can't need to say this real quick. I'm really excited for Christopher Walken as King Louis. Yes, the casting in that is great. <laughs> I just, I'm really excited. <laughs> this is my terrible Christopher Walken impression, but I just want him to be like, I want to be like you. <laughs> I want to stop like you. <laughs> I'm real excited for that. Yeah, I get the feeling even if he's playing like a completely different character than Christopher Walken, he will still be doing Christopher Walken. Yeah. <laughs> Plus we got Bill Murray as, as uh, the Baloo. Baloo. Yeah. And then the last one we have is Tink, starring and I think being produced by Reese Witherspoon. Um, those are the ones that are under the Disney like masthead. There are, of course, other what, other fairy tale adaptations that are being made outside of Disney by other studios like Universal. Um, we recently saw Pan, um, which is a terrible remake. Well, of. I didn't see Pan. Yeah, but... I, I didn't, none of us saw it, I don't think. It's a terrible prequel to Peter Pan. Um, by the way, plug to Peter Pan 2003, the best live-action adaptation of Peter Pan you will ever need. It is a great film. It's so good. <laughs> so good. I get emotional when I watch it every time. <laughs> and we recently saw Into the Woods, which is a musical kind of re- revisionist telling of fairy tales. And that is by Disney. Yeah, it was, oh, distri- it was by Disney. It was distributed by Disney, but it wasn't based off of the fairy tales. It was based on the, the mm-hmm. Sondheim musical. That's true. Yeah, but it was distributed by Disney and like mm-hmm. part of their studio. Yeah. Okay, that's true. Um, and then a while ago we had Snow White and the Huntsman, and now we're getting soon we're getting a prequel of just the Huntsman. Um, and there was also the terrible Mirror Mirror one. Oh, but yeah. Julia Roberts is the evil queen, right? Yeah. Yes. Very... <laughs> and Army Hammer is the prince. And... Oh, I forgot. Oh, poor Army Hammer. <laughs> he really he needs a better agent. Yeah. Oh uh, well, he, I'm so he 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 made a comeback with Man from Uncle. So true. I, I, I saw that. Yeah, I have. It was good. It. He was great in it. Fingers crossed, he can keep up those good choices. Hopefully, you I, know, Social Network was good, but that was his one. Kind of went downhill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the last one that we can mention is Little Mermaid, which I think Chloe Moretz Grace was recently cast in, um, and Sofia Coppola was originally going to direct, but dropped out. Um, and it rumor has it she dropped out because of the casting of Chloe Moretz. Really? Controversy! Oh, drama. Yeah, and that's being done by Universal, so more than likely it'll be a darker version than Disney's mm-hmm. animated film. Mm-hmm. So probably more close in telling to the original fairy tale of Little Mermaid. Um, Anya, do you want to tell us a little <laughs> bit about it? 
Oh, I have so many problems with the original film, <laughs> with the original fairy tale. Mm-hmm. I just, I, we, I don't want to spend too much time on this because we're supposed to be talking about Disney ones. But mm-hmm. in case none of you know, the original fairy tale has the princess. Uh, she's supposed to stab the prince at the end. Uh, but she makes the selfless decision not to. And she throws herself into the sea, sacrifices herself, becomes sea foam. And she had done all these great deeds in her life to kind of just be a good person and gain an immortal soul, because as a mermaid, she didn't have one. And after she sacrifices herself for the prince, she becomes an air spirit. And they basically say, like, because of all your good deeds, now you have the chance to gain an immortal soul by doing more good deeds for mankind for 300 years. <laughs> and if you can do it, then you will possibly get your immortal soul. So it's like, great, Little Mermaid, you've done all these great things in your life. Here is a chance to get one in 300 years. I smell a sequel. That, that poor mermaid. I am original. I'm a fan of original fairy tales tellings because I really like how dark and macabre they are. And I think that a lot of the remakes that try to turn these fairy tales into like gritty reboots and stuff go in the wrong direction because they try to make you know modern and you know there's always a battle with a big, very gritty um, sword play and stuff. But they could just go to the original source material and have all this really tragic connotations and um, elements to it without trying to change it. And I think Little Mermaid especially is one of them because you know, one of the elements of the story is that when she become, gains her legs and becomes a human, like before she, the ending of the, um, the story, every time she walks, it's like, you know, daggers are being stabbed. That, into yeah, her feet. stepping on like glass. It's- yeah, and it's just like, it's so dark and it's, it's just like interesting because I feel like a lot of fairy tales are kind of, I guess, warning tales, like boogeyman tales, but some of them, the really dark ones are almost like, classic Greek tragedies, and I kind of like that element. And Well, it's interesting. Um, P.L. Travers, who wrote Mary Poppins, mm-hmm. um, she criticized Anderson mm-hmm. for his Little Mermaid story. Um, and I agree with her, because it, basically that, film, that story needlessly punishes the mermaid mm-hmm. when she did nothing wrong. Um, and P.L. Travers wrote this scathing commentary on mermaid. You can read it. It is harsh. She does mm-hmm. not hold back. So it's really interesting. Yeah, there are a lot of interesting um, shades of both misogyny and female power in original fairy tales. And it's they have a very uh, tumultuous, I think, relationship in the original ones. And I don't know, I think it would be interesting to explore. I know that like a lot of them are very problematic, but I think it would be more interesting than what the kind of shallow adaptations or like revisionist ones are doing now. I think that's a good transition because I think some of Disney's remakes of their animated films have had more female empowerment mm-hmm. um, in good ways. And I think it's really important to note that the three that have come out so far that are part of this big trend, Alice Wonderland, Maleficent, and Cinderella, despite Cinderella is probably the, mo- the well- most well-reviewed mm-hmm. across the board, um, but despite some mixed reviews for the others, all three of them have made gobs of money for Disney. Mm-hmm. Like, whether or not not you want these reboots, they are making money. People are seeing them. Tons of people. So I think that's really important. I think when we talk about why they're doing this, 
so far they have a good track record of making a lot of money, and it's a good business move. Mm-hmm. And they're really good updates for these stories that a lot of them, these the original animated movies, were told, like in the fifties and the sixties, and there wasn't you know a lot of female empowerment or female roles back then, except for you know Sleeping Beauty. Uh, famously only had 16 minutes of screen time in her own movie, in the original animated movie. And that is not the case in these new remakes, which I really like, Um, especially, like, we have, um, you know, the telling of Maleficent, which is telling Sleeping Beauty from her side of the story, and it becomes a really powerful rape metaphor. And I actually have not seen the movie. Um, I think I'm the only one who has, um, mm-hmm. and I love it. Yeah, I mean, like so. from what I've heard, it sounds amazing, and Angelina Jolie sounds amazing in it. Um, I, again, I feel like this is only from like hearsay. Uh, Sleeping Beauty herself is still kind of a passive player in the role. I'm not really sure. A little bit, but she has more personality, and mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think the thing is, Maleficent has some structural problems. It gets a little messy in the middle, especially with King Stefan. Um, but I think, despite structural problems. It revisioning itself like as a feminist revenge story is awesome, <laughs> and it's a really interesting way of doing a rape metaphor. Um, and I remember my, like my little cousin saw it, and she was I think four at the time, and she didn't get that metaphor, mm-hmm. but she understood because it's King. It's to give a little like I'm not gonna spoil everything, but it's King Stefan who basically um, assaults Maleficent after drugging her, mm-hmm. um, and. While my cousin didn't get the rape metaphor, she did understand that what he did wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want him to win. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really powerful message um, to give to both children and adults. Um, the other really interesting twist is that they do a twist on the True Love's Kiss to wake Sleeping Beauty up. Mm. Which is awesome. I'm not going to tell you how. <laughs> Or should I? Do we care about spoilers in this podcast? Should we like? I think we'll we'll go into just vague plot well, points. If it's a different, points. I think if it's of a different than what in the book or in the in the fairy tale, we shouldn't spoil it. Mm-hmm. Okay, but but if it's like we can spoil what happens in in you know a movie that came out in 1963. Okay, well because... I'm telling you now that's not what happens in Maleficent. <laughs> okay, um, but yeah, I think Maleficent is great, and I think it's fantastic to see that story retold that way and I thought it was really powerful and Angelina Jolie's fantastic. So based on these you know, three new movies, these three new live action adaptations of classic Disney fairy tales, how do we feel about like this huge surge suddenly in like all these Disney live action adaptations that we're going to see soon? Do we think that it's a good um, thing or do you think that like a lot of people are saying on the internet that it's ruining people's childhood i i really like these this idea of taking a story that has been told in different media for a long time case in point beauty and the beast there's been a lot of different adaptations of beauty and the beast there hasn't been a lot of disney adaptations there have been the the movie and then the broadway musical and this is their film version of it but i'm excited for seeing the story told in a different format in, in new and visual ways. Like, now that we have the technology to do these stories in a live-action environment, it's much easier to show the visuals of maybe a man transforming from a beast into back to a man, or vice versa. Like, these 
I'm really excited to to see what Disney can do with computer graphics and live action. Like I've seen some of the footage from the new Jungle Book movie, and it looks stunning. I think Anya, it you, looks incredible. You went, you were at D23, and you saw. I did not see the footage there. I wasn't at that footage. panel, okay. but I mean, the trailer's out. And yeah, the trailer's out, and it looks, looks phenomenal. The snake looks so real. Like I'm, I was actually really stunned by how realistic the animals look. I thought they were going to go for more of like the Disneyfied human eyes, mm-hmm. you know, more of like human humanistic expressions on their faces but like you look at Baloo in the Jungle Book trailer and he looks like a real bear you look like all these all the animals look like animals and that's really weird it's going to be like a weird i like like almost not uncanny valley because that's about humans but like it, it's going to take like a couple moments to like get used to the fact that the like almost photorealistic yeah it's like when um it's like to bring up a movie that isn't anything what what we're talking about homeward bound you know how they have like the animals, oh, no. like you know how they have the animals talking, like while they, but they were filmed real animals. It'll be like that, but take, but like now I'm emotional. Computer generation <laughs> using computer generated creatures to tell a live action story, and I'm really excited to see these fairy tales like are made from that because I think that you know we've hit a point where you can do a, you can create a tiger in a computer and it looks just like a real tiger. Like, I've never seen Life of Pi, but I've seen, you know, photos of it and images and, and like, video from it. And the tiger looks so real. And the tiger in the Jungle Book looks even realer. Like, this is crazy. So I'm excited to see all these new, very, very visual stories told in a live-action setting Mm -hmm. with the computer generation and Disney behind it. Disney is, they are great storytellers. They know how to tell a story, and they know how to adapt their own material Back into the fold. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. 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 Um, Sometimes. What I was going to say, so I think, I think what it comes down to is that I think we are all in agreement that these remakes do not ruin anyone's childhood. No remake ruins. This new Ghostbusters film is not ruining your childhood because your childhood is over. <laughs> it is what it is. You enjoyed it at the time. You can't ruin it retroactively. The original Ghostbusters film still exists. So these films aren't ruining your childhood because you can still go back and watch those films and you can still enjoy them as you did as a child. Furthermore, when you claim they're ruining your childhood, why? Is it because they're making them more progressive? Is it because they're making them feminist? Is it because they're putting more people of color in them? Because that's a bigger discussion and that's... That's an issue with you. That's not cool. (laughs) Yeah, that's not cool. I think... What it comes down to is that these remakes, it's about whether or not they're good films. Maleficent is a revisionist story, and it it had problems. It is Cinderella is a better film than Maleficent is, but Maleficent has a lot of merit in being revisionist and being really exciting. Cinderella does have some updates, like for the character of Cinderella. I feel like the recent film, the remake from this year, I feel like it deals with abuse mm-hmm. better than, like, the original animated film does. And HT and Willoughby know this. I love Cinderella. She means <laughs> a lot to me. Because she is a victim of abuse, and yet she rises above it, and she is still a kind person. She still has that ability for compassion. More and so. I think that's really important. Exactly. Um, and this film, people are always talking about, you know, Cinderella just went to a ball for a man, blah, blah. No, Cinderella went to a ball for herself. Cinderella has been abused her entire life. And she gets to 
make a choice and have some agency and go to a ball and enjoy herself. And she doesn't even know it's the prince in the remake. Um, so I think it's really important. And those are both really good films. And I think remakes depend on if they're good films because Alice in Wonderland is not a good film. I agree. <laughs> it was not good. It was it's it's very good. dependent on Johnny Depp's kabuki mask acting. It had exactly. It was so Tim Burton that it wasn't even an Alice in Wonderland film at some point. It was just like, it was too Tim Burton-y. Yeah, and, like, I have problems with the, with how it changed. Like, obviously Maleficent is not, it's very, it changes a lot. Mm-hmm. And so does Alice in Wonderland. Um, but I feel like Alice in Wonderland didn't, like, justify why they changed it, mm-hmm. whereas Maleficent did. Yeah, for example, they aged Alice up. Uh, from a child, and one of the important things, I think, from the original movie and the original um, story was that it was told from the perspective of a child, and everything is very surreal, and they don't understand anything, but it just kind of, they just kind of go with the flow, because that's how a child is. They don't question things, Um, and it seems more magical that way, and and just kind of more accepting, Um, but in this one, in like Alice in Wonderland, the movie, they turn her into this battle-ready, you know, tough girl who dons a suit of armor and leads people into battle for some reason. No one really knows. Well, the, this, this, this is the thing with the, the issue with Alice, in, a lot of issues with Alice in Wonderland, but one that I really don't like is that they didn't do a straight adaptation of the movie or of the, of the book. They did this weird not-sequel not that is actually the first movie. Like, like they just, they, they t- tell, tell a different story but with, like, the same plot points back, like, Alice, you know, grows bigger, grows smaller, right? When she gets to Wonderland, and she meets Tweedledee and Tweedledum, and then it's like she goes through the same motions of the story, but it's told from, like, this, she's already, like, she's back, like, she was already in Wonderland as a small child, and now, but she didn't remember it because she was a small child, and now she's back, and she's, and she's like, oh, Wonderland isn't a dream, it's real, and uh, Johnny Depp is is there as the weird Mad Hatter, and you know, if if it was any other actor, I don't think the Mad Hatter would have had such a big role. But because it was Johnny Depp and Tim Burton, of course, he had to be practically the main character in the upcoming. Well, and to be fair, when you look at Disney, Mad Hatter is one of the bigger characters. If you look, if you go to the Disney parks, and like Hatter and Alice are the face characters you want to meet. Well, that's very true. But the story, like, it should have like. But if you look at the story of Alice in Wonderland. As the story, the Mad Hatter is only there in a couple scenes, but mm-hmm. in the in the Tim Burton movie, he's like a driving force of the movie, and he's one of the leads. It, even including in the uh, the upcoming sequel, it seems to be about Alice like saving the Hatter. Like mm-hmm. that's it's just it just seems to that me trailer that, was so bad. It looks so bad, but it, it I don't re- I didn't like how they it was a revisionist telling, but it was a revisionist telling in, like, the worst way that it could be. Where it it was just... wasn't revisionist enough. Mm-hmm. Because, like, that's the thing, is that, like, I remember one of the things I love about the original Alice in Wonderland story and the animated film is that Wonderland isn't real. Yeah. It's a dream. Like, it's not real. And Tim Burton decided to make it real. And I don't have a problem with that in theory. But like you're saying, Willoughby, he basically just told the same story. Mm-hmm. But now he's like, oh, but it's real. But, like, they had to, like, tell the same stories when she was 12 so it's like you tried to change it but you didn't go far enough like the way Malefic- like Maleficent was like 
we're flipping this whole thing on its head. We don't care. Yeah. Cinderella was more of a straight retelling while adding depth of character and different layers. Mm. Um, it's a longer film. They can do more with it, etc. But Alice in Wonderland was like, all right, we're going to change it, but we're just going to stop short of doing anything actually interesting with it. Yeah. I think the problem was that I didn't have any respect for the original story. It was just kind of like, we're going to take these characters and put them in a fantasy movie slash, slash like battle movie. And it kind of tried to pigeonhole like this really great original story into, you know, your generic fantasy action film, um, which I personally, I felt they tried to do with Snow White and the Huntsman, which was not Disney, but I know that Anya is a big fan of it. Um, so I, I just like, I feel like that's a really bad trend that's happening with a lot of the recent fairy tale adaptations that are coming out, uh, not just under Disney. Yeah, I think you could take a look at Alice in Wonderland and say, you don't really need the ending battle with the Jabberwock. That's not, you, you could do, you could do a straight adaptation of the story. Like you could do a, what they did with Cinderella and do it with Alice in Wonderland and make it just as kooky. Mm-hmm. Like Tim Burton could have done a really, really great job if he did like a straight adaptation of it. With maybe with his own twist on it, because like, um, you know, he he does a good job of like. I think Anya, you're a big fan of Sleepy Hollow, right? Yes, I love. That's my favorite Tim Burton Johnny Depp film. Yeah. So, and have you ever read the original Washington Irving story? I have. Yeah. Yeah. So how how does it compare to the story? Like, did it, it is? It's quite different. Um, mm. It's quite different. But again, it's a well made film, and I feel like there was care behind it and mm. craft that I feel like Alice in Wonderland. Definitely I'm I'm struggling these days to find like I can't I don't feel like Tim Burton is caring about the films he's making. They're just cash grabs for him, like a paycheck movie. Especially which like, is unfortunate because like yeah. uh, does he need a cash grab? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Maybe he's a little sad because Helena Bonham Carter left him or whatever. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so so let's take this idea of like of the the retellings and the remakes and like the poor decisions that could be made about it. And let's take a look at, like, what we think about these upcoming movies. Like, we don't have to talk about specifics, but we can talk about, like, what are what are we looking forward to? Like, what do we hope happens with these movies? Well, I think we've all established that we support these films. Mm-hmm. We like them, yes. provided they are good films. Um, and I think the most anticipated one is Beauty and the Beast. I think mm-hmm. that's the next one, too, right? No, Jungle Book comes out first. Oh, right, okay, yeah, okay. Um, and I think with Beating the Beast, I think it's a couple things. I think it is one of the most beloved Disney films of all time. You cannot argue that. It is one of the most popular films. I think it is the most important film in the Renaissance, which Little Mermaid started, but Beauty and the Beast elevated. Like, Beauty and the Beast was the first film to get that Best Picture nod. It was, like, the crowning achievement of the Disney Renaissance. It was, yeah. Like, you can, and, you know, they they got better. They made more money. Mm Mm-hmm. After Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin made more money, Lion King made more money, but I think Beauty and the Beast was that high point mm-hmm. that they had never reached before. Yeah, it was, um, the, uh, it was the first animated film to get a pe- Best Picture nod back when there yeah. were only five Best Picture nominations. And no animated. And no animated. There was no animated category. After Beauty and the Beast got a nod, they created the animated category. So And so I think, yeah, it's important. Making. It's popular. It has been adapted into a fantastic live-action Broadway musical Obviously, live action. (laughs) (laughs) The animated animated Broadway hit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, and it has so much potential as a story. As we've discussed, they've um, 
multiple studios have adapted Beauty and the Beast, the story, the original fairy tale, and this idea of, you know, seeing past the surface, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think this live action one is, I think it's going to be good. I think everyone is very excited for it. The cast looks great. The cast is the best casting decision Disney's made in recent history. Yes, it has um, Emma Watson as Belle. I don't remember the rest of the cast. Josh Gad, Josh Gad as... Josh Gad as LeFou. Yeah. Luke Evans as Gaston. Dan Stevens as Beast. Sir Ian McKellen as Cogsworth. Emma Thompson as Mrs. Potts. Ewan McGregor as Lumiere. And I believe Kevin Klein as Maurice. I you, believe. You just listed all of those off from memory. <laughs> I did. I am very excited for this film, and this cast is great. Oh, and um, other smaller ones, um, they created a role entirely for Stanley Tucci. Oh. I heard about that. <laughs> if anyone's going to get a role created for him, it's Stanley Tucci. Yes, he's going to be playing, I believe, a grand piano. That's in right. the he's castle. playing a piano. Oh, in the Christmas um, Beauty and the, the Beast. The Tim Curry character? Yeah, there was um, a, a piano played by Tim Curry. and he Yes. Was- Kind of evil, actually. Spoilers for the Beauty and the Beast. That was actually a really good animated sequel. Too. I liked that. Film. I love that. I watch it sometimes. <laughs> I just want to sing like <laughs> Christmas songs oh, yeah. from that. Um, and then also, um, Gugu Mbatha Ra is going to be playing um, the Feather Duster that had like the sort of flirtation mm-hmm. with Lumiere. I forget what they're calling her. This character has had like three names in Disney can. Like in the musical, she's Babette. In one of the sequels, she's Fifi. Um, and I think in this one, she's Plumet, I believe. So, like, it's all the same character, just with different names. But I also love her. She's fantastic. You should all watch Belle, if you haven't, because that film is great. Oh, I, yeah, I really need to see Belle, because I heard she's really great in it. And I, the only thing I've seen her in is actually a Doctor Who episode, um, oh. season four? Oh, oh. Season three with Martha Do Jones. That? See, Wait, which one? She was, the, she was the sister of Martha Jones. It was the one what? where, like, they were at that cocktail party. Do you remember this? She was really annoying in that episode. But, yeah, that was her. <laughs> it just blew my mind. <laughs> can, I t- can I tell you guys that I was terrified of watching Beauty and the Beast for years, and I didn't really see it until I, I saw it once, and I was terrified. And then the I animated film? And then I didn't see it. Yeah, it's an animated film. I saw it once when I was really little, and I got terrified of the Beast, and then I didn't see it for, like, I want to say 10 years after that, so like not until like the mid-2000s. <laughs> I was also terrified of the one scene in Hunchback of Notre Dame when they throw oh. tomatoes at him. That's a really scary movie, though. Okay, um, well, Hunchback, yeah. there's a lot of scary scenes in yeah. that film. But like, I was terrified of the beast, and like my mom can like affirm that. She was, and <laughs> He's I pretty was, scary. Yeah, and so I didn't really like appreciate it until I was older, but like I, but, like, I, I saw, like, I watched all the other Disney movies, mm-hmm. but, like, I always kind of, like, we had Beauty and the Beast on VHS, but I always steered away with it when I was, like, picking a movie to watch. So I'd always be like, nope, I don't want to watch The Beast because that's gonna, he's going to scare me. So I would just go back to watching Lion King, which, ironically, is all lions, but they were not frightening at all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. They're cuddly. Yeah. Well, Scar's kind of scary. Yeah. And everyone is nicer when they are just a lion. Yeah. They're like little... Friendly animals. Like the good dinosaur, which I haven't seen, but I'm excited for. Oh, that one. That's, well, that's it's not out yet. Yeah. yeah. No, not out yet. Um, um, but yeah, and then I think with Beating the Beast, like what Willoughby was saying, I think visually Beating the Beast will be great. Because mm-hmm. the technology they have, they'll probably do, I think, like CGI for Lumiere and Cogsworth and everything, and I think Beast will look great. Yeah. So, and the fact that it's a, and it's also a musical, which 
they have not done yet. Yeah. So Cinderella like, wasn't Maleficent wasn't. Are they going to do their the songs from the movie slash musical? Okay, so they are doing all the songs from the movie. They are not taking any of the Broadway songs, which upsets me because they're great. They almost took one, which is my favorite, which is If I Can't Love Her, which is a song that B sings. It's I've gorgeous. I've heard that song. It's so it's heartbreaking. Um, however, Alan Menken is writing, I believe, three new songs for the movie. So they're going to have songs we know from the animated film and some new ones. And in the style of Disney, because Alan Menken, if no one knows, is the one of the main songwriters for most of the Disney Renaissance films. So like Mulan, um, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid. Mermaid. Yeah. Yeah. So he'll be great. Yeah. So I think that's one. And that's really interesting that it's almost like they're just full on going into the full remake of their animated films. Whereas Mm -hmm. you could theoretically say Cinderella, Cinderella... while it was, it's a remake of their Disney film because they didn't have any of the songs in it. It's like not a hundred percent remake, but like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put anything against it. It's just like you know they were going for a straight mu- a straight film and not uh, like a a, a a musical version of it. Mm-hmm. And now they're going full on into the musical version of it. Mm-hmm. And I think Jungle Book, from what I've heard, won't have all the songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not even sure they're going to have King Louis song, which upsets me because I want to hear Christopher Walken sing slash talk that. <laughs> um, I think they might only have Bare Necessities from what I heard. It looks like a moodier adaptation, too, because like the trailer was kind of dark, and um, we only got like little glimpses of uh, the Bare Necessities and stuff. So it might be like a darker movie with a little bit of you know ray of light of hope. Or they could just be you know waiting to throw everything in, into the movie. It's true. But we don't, who knows? Because we we've only seen so much. Mm. Okay, so are there any other Disney movies that we have things to say about? Oh, actually, I do. Um, <laughs> I hope I hope I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, and I hope yes. I'm right. Okay, so this is something I wasn't actually very happy about because this is the genie movie from which is going to be an adaptation of Aladdin, but kind of a prequel to it, and it's focusing only on the genie. And there's no casting or anything yet, and like there's of course kind of some issues with Robin Williams and his will and not wanting them to use his likeness or any of his um, material material for any future Disney films. Although I don't know if that's confirmed yet, actually. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be focusing on the genie, uh, which I have a problem with because it feels like they are erasing the only Arabic um, characters they have in the Disney canon in favor of basically a cartoon character. Um just, you know, I mean, I'm assuming the there's going to be other humans in this film. Like, yeah. I'm assuming we're going to see Genie maybe with a previous master. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and fingers crossed, maybe they'll keep it as an with an Arabic character. Yeah, it just like, hopefully it seems like a step backward from all the yeah. increasing representation we're getting with these new updated live action movies. Um, so, you know, there's more. Uh, telling of like the, the domestic abuse in Cinderella, there was the more of like the rape metaphor and Maleficent, um, but it just seems like they're yeah a, that genie whatever it's going to be titled is going to be stepping backwards a little bit yeah and, and we, then and stepping four go ahead uh, I'm just I was just going to say we don't even know if that movie will ever actually get made because mm-hmm. it's they haven't really set a lot of things in motion for that mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah there's so many that will that, all of them actually get made yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I, I'm hoping that the Dumbo movie doesn't get made, which will be directed by Tim Burton, because I think, I, I don't know, I just don't see it 
working as live action because I don't know. It just seemed because it's all it's very dark. It's it's just I don't know if it was. Well, we've established that Tim Burton doesn't care. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, but and also like the very racist elements of Dumbo yeah, with a, a character Jim literally Crow. named Jim Crow. Yeah, that's not good. Like so, either they'd have to take that out. Mm-hmm. Or do a complete revisionist story like they did with Maleficent. Because, yeah. also, I don't want to cry during Baby Mine. Oh, no. Like, yeah. I don't I, need to have my heart broken. I've only seen Dumbo, like, a handful of times. And I don't want to see it again because it's just, it's so sad. When you see Dumbo, like, sitting in his mom's trunk mm-hmm. and crying. Uh-huh. And, and the part where he goes to his mother Traumatic. locked up, yeah. And she rocks him with her trunk. And That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah maybe mine. And, and she's crying. crying. And God, it's so heartbreaking. Traumatic. Ugh, okay. Well, continue. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say? Will? Oh, no. I was just going to say that, you know, like, you guys are so passionate about this animated film. Like, you were talking about it right now. Mm-hmm. That I think that Tim Burton, I mean, I know we were talking about the fears of, of remakes ruining the the original movie. But I don't think it would because you guys have such, I want to say, you know, love for the emotional connection, emotional connection to the first one. Mm-hmm. That an adaptation could, like, you don't have to see it, obviously. You don't have to. And that I just think that I don't want Tim Burton to not care for another movie mm. again while making yeah, it, I you mean, know? Yeah, but like we said, it, it couldn't ruin your childhood. Right. Even if it is bad, because you can watch the original film. Right. Um, and it would be great to see them take, like, I'm torn, because, like, on the one hand, it would be great to see them take a movie that has racist elements and be like, screw these elements, we're gonna, mm. like, take control of them, and, yeah, you know, um, but is Dumbo really a great choice? Dumbo, I don't think it's the best movie, or not, I'm not the best movie, but, like, I don't think it's, like, you kind of have to step back and say, like, are these movie remakes necessary? And not all of them are, some of them are fun, like, I, like, I just don't think the Dumbo movie needs to be made. Mm-hmm. And I think that cause, because the, the original is so powerful as it stands, I mean, it's very problematic, but the parts that, you, that everyone resonates with are very emotional and very people like the, um, the elephant dream sequence that he goes through, the trippy dream sequence. Like, that's a fundamental animated, like, iconic scene that is, that is like, taught in classes. Like, mm-hmm. I was taught that in Critical Approach to Cinema. Uh, and it's just... I, I, it would be really weird to see that in a live-action setting because I think that the Dumbo animation is so specific to Dumbo that it taking that into a different world, into a different medium, might not work. Um, even, yeah, even, I even, agree. Even, even though I earlier said seeing these movies in different mediums is great, but I don't think Dumbo could work. Yeah, I think, like, it's ground, like, the movie itself was very groundbreaking and kind of mature that it would be hard to translate that into live action without making, like, a completely different movie than Disney usually makes. Or at least, you know, just um, censoring it down a little bit, too. And that wouldn't do justice to the original movie at all. So So, sometimes it's better to leave be. Yeah, so we like them, but maybe not every single one is necessary. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, some can be maybe not necessary but exciting and uh with good thought behind them and make sense like beating the beast and i also think mulan mm. which would be their first adaptation of one of their princesses of color and she's awesome everyone loves her yeah 
And there's so few chances for Asian actresses and actors to get out there because they barely get spots outside of TV, get roles outside of TV. And when there are movies that are made that are of like Asian stories or you know animes, they don't get the parts. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're talking about the Ghost in the Shell casting, which yeah, is I might very talk, unfortunate. I might talk about that later. <laughs> Super unfortunate, but. Yeah. Hopefully Mulan will happen, and hopefully they... I know some people have expressed worry. Um, obviously, there's been no casting for it yet, so, like, premature worry, but still worry nonetheless of, like, casting um, an Asian actress, but not a Chinese actress, which is important. It is important, because, like, she's a, also a, na- a Chinese um, legend, so it would be doing justice to, like, that cultural um, connection as well. Um, but, yeah. I mean, they've done it before, and it hasn't really hurt movies, especially when they're, like, in English-language um, movies, especially, like, Memoirs of Geisha, I'm thinking of, which was a Chinese actress playing a Japanese um, role. So, um, yeah. yeah. So, there's how we feel about all these films, but Disney has taken their animated classics and turned them into live action for the small screen, too. Yes, they have. Yes. What are we talking about? We're talking about Once Upon a Time. The ABC, ABC hit classic. Yes. <laughs> Starring Jennifer Morrison, Jennifer Goodwin, Josh Dallas, and like a million other people. A lot of J's. Lana Priya. Mm-hmm. All with the kind of the same heart-shaped face, too. You <laughs> get it? We all kind of had that. Um, well, good family casting. Then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I finally, we talked about this at the beginning of our first episode, I think. Um, I finally caught up to Once Upon a Time. Um, and I, it's gotten so much better. Oh, yes. This, do we want to do vague spoilers for this season or should we just not go into it? Well, I think, I think more people know, like this season is about Emma becoming the dark one Mm -hmm. and it's in Camelot. Speaking of all those Camelot adaptations. They they went with Camelot Camelot. this one. Yep. There's someone at Disney Disney really wants Camelot to be made. Eternally, her, also Merlin is going to be eternally hot from now on, because there's that Merlin series from BBC, which Merlin was hot. And Colin Morgan. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, yes. Pasty white guy number three? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also in Doctor Who. <laughs> in Pasty white guy, the series. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> and yeah. now we have this Merlin. Mm-hmm. Um, so once upon a time, my thoughts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a, it's a it's, show. It's a show. I mean, it has a lot of the same problems as, you know, the reason I stopped watching, which was kind of there are a plot holes gaping throughout the entire story. And, the writing know, in this show can be writing. extremely inconsistent, especially when it comes to, like, plots. Like, characters and emotions mm-hmm. they're good at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, sometimes they will take an arc that is really interesting and then just completely drop it because, you know, it's, it's a big cast, so they can't, you know, do a, a full arc with each person. But then, like... For example, Lily, who was really interesting, I thought, when she appeared in the fourth season. And I was like, where's Lily? Um, (laughs) Where's August? Where's August? Where is August Booth 2K15? (laughs) I love August Booth. Yeah, so it's like the drawbacks of a big cast, but I feel like it's something they've consistently done, not only with, you know, their side characters, but also with some of their main characters. For example, with Rumpelstiltskin, one of my favorite characters, still... Even though I know everyone right. hates him. I have issues with weird this. fascination with Robert Carlyle. into this after Robert the podcast. <laughs> um, okay, so I know the, I think the writers know what they have when they have Robert Carlyle, who's a very talented actor and just kind of shines in every scene he is, he's in. So 
So they, like, you know, in the first season, they insert him into every fairy tale, which at first I was annoyed with, but then I kind of became fine with because it really kind of added to this sort of trickster character that they were really going for with Rumpelstiltskin. Um, and what he represents in each each story, because, like... In in this in this story, he's all he's the beast and the crocodile. Yeah, he's the, well, he's the beast from Beauty and the Beast and the crocodile from Peter Pan. Yeah, he plays a bunch of roles and he kind of like is like if we're talking about revisionism, he is like the embodiment of revisionism in Once Upon a Time. He kind of goes in and throws in a dark twist for every fairy tale, and I really enjoyed that until the writers decided to give him a redemption arc and they tried to turn him into a tragic hero. And, you know, I was actually kind of fine with that, too, until they're like, wait, never mind. Let's go take him back to the trickster. They can't decide whether they want him to be, you know, the one fun kind of side character who's really operates in shades of gray, or if they want him to go through with this redemption arc. and with or, res- be, or be completely evil. Or be completely evil. And, the result- and in the meantime, they should separate him from Belle and yeah. protect her. Mm-hmm. And the, the res- yeah. or Belle. The result is they create like this really in- inconsistent character who has just completely pre-developed from all the development that he got, and is now kind of <laughs> really pathetic. Back to being really pathetic. I think it's actually really interesting. Um, he's kind of in like the, the angel crisis now that he's gotten like the dark one out of him, and where he's like, oh, now I'm human. What do I do with myself? Mm-hmm. And it's like the whole okay. My Buffy the Vampire Slayer name drop of the of the week. It's like that episode in season three of, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Amends, where, <laughs> where Angel is dealing with his crisis of consciousness, and he tell, tells Buffy, "It's not the monster in me that needs killing; it's the man." He so broods. <laughs> he broods. So I think that is an interesting question that they can give to Rumpel and kind of just like his dealing with who is he as a human. You know, like they say he's a blank slate and stuff like that. Um, so I think. Once upon a time, especially with Rumpelstiltskin and now with, like, Emma and everything like that, they have a lot of interesting questions about redemption and free will and fate, but they never really kind of follow through with them, and they try to pigeonhole them into the heroes and villains, and they, they have, like, more interesting questions than they're capable of answering, I think. But... Aside from me philosophizing about Once Upon a Time... Which we could do for hours, <laughs> because... Uh, we we love despite all the show's problems, we mm-hmm. love it. Yes, because it's fairy tales, which I am in love with. I love the original dark story tale, story stories and like their kind of origins as t- sort of bogey monster tales and weird electric complexes <laughs> and kind of the fear of the powerful woman. And I also love the Disney versions of them because that's what I grew up with. That's what we grew up with. Um, and even though, like, you know, they're sanitized, but they're still messages of hope and love and the importance of those kind of things. And they're kind of gateways to looking at the original stories. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure, did you watch the movies first and then see the show? Or see the, uh, read the original stories? I watched the movies first and, like, yeah, they did pique my interest in fairy tales. I wrote a lot of papers about fairy, fairy tales in, in college and tried to... So I have a lot of research under yeah. my belt about that. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I think that Once Upon a Time does a good job of balancing our ideas of what these fairy tales are through the Disney lens, as well as kind of the darker implications of the original fairy tales. Um, and what they're doing strongest, though, is you know building their own mythology, like they're doing with the Dark One um, arc now. Because before, like sometimes it gets a little weak when they try to you know, squeeze in Disney references or gimmicks. 
But now that they're kind of telling their own story with Dark One, it, it, it just became much, much more fascinating. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fun seeing them adapt um, the Disney stories. Um, and I feel like they've done, like, it is can be very gimmicky when they mm-hmm. throw in Disney references. Especially um, the Frozen. The, Enchant- the Enchanted Rose this season was whatever. That was so <laughs> that was terrible. It's so yeah. inconvenient to carry around. It's yeah. like- I know, it's so terrible. And, like, but they have some cute ones, like the dwarves whistling hi-ho. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they have some cute ones. But, like, I, I like that they have done their own storytelling for the most part. Like, mm-hmm. their origin story for Snow White and Prince Charming was wonderful, I thought. Like, seeing her be a thief and how they that. met, I loved that. I love that they stayed. But she still did, um, you know, at some point, eat the poison apple. Mm-hmm. Um, but she did it willingly this time, and knowingly. Yeah. So I think, I like how they've adapted them. Um, I think one of the big things is that I was worried about their Frozen arc, and then I really liked it. Yeah. I thought at first, it, I was like, oh, they're cashing in on Frozen, because they literally... And they they are a little they, bit. They are, but, like, I think they, they tried their best to, like, when their marketing was like, oh, Frozen's coming to Once Upon a Time, because that was the same year that the movie came out, or, mm-hmm. like, or like... The, it was, like, the, the, a the, couple months later, basically. Couple, the season after the movie... The, the movie debuted in December, and then that season came out in the next September in 2014, mm-hmm. and so they were like you know, it's all about Frozen, and they did, like, direct character, like, their clothing was very similar, like, everyone was wearing the same clothing they were in the movie, which is very, like, a lot of the different fairy tales, like, that they've that they done in Once Upon a Time, they haven't been straight adaptations straight from the t- the movies, mm-hmm. like, you, uh, I don't think Snow White ever really wore what she wore in the mm-hmm. 1930s movie, yeah. um, and, like, a lot of the characters wear clothing similar, but, like, this was the first time, kind of, that you saw, like, you saw Anna and Elsa wear the same clothing that they wore in the show. And then um, I saw, and, like, Merida in the most recent season, that that's a very, like, uh, big screen to small screen adaptation of, of Brave, where you have the very curly red hair, like, it's bright red, and the dress she's wearing is very similar to the one she wears in the movie. And, like, all the supporting characters and her brothers, like, they all, and King Fergus, they all look like the Pixar versions of themselves from the original movie. So it's really interesting to see, like, what characters they they choose to make more realistic-looking and then ones that are, like, very, very much the characters that they were in the original um, source material. Yeah, yeah. But I think... You know, and it's interesting that that you make that with Frozen because I feel like they were definitely trying to ride the Frozen wave, like, and yeah. I think that's part of why their costumes were so direct from the movie. Yeah, um, and it was a little like kind of weary at first, and you're like, really, like we're gonna do Frozen like now? Yeah. <laughs> but I thought they did a good job with it. I the cast was great for Frozen. Mm-hmm. I actually really like that they pulled in the original. Um, Snow Queen. Oh yeah, I like because, that. Because yes. um, I was a big fan, actually, of the Russian animated movie, The Snow Queen, um, which was the original uh, telling of the tale, which was about uh, two a brother, no, not a brother, and two sister. sisters, right? No, it was a boy and a girl. Boy and a girl. Um, and the boy gets a shard of glass in his eye from like the evil mirror that the Snow Queen has, and it basically is able she's able to control people with it, and it's on the girl to save him and it's a really actually empowering story because she's the main character and she meets like all these you know cookie characters on the way and 
it's it's excellent. It's really scary. Um, and like they ha- they kind of brought that in with like the shattered glass and the Snow Queen played by Juliet from Lost. I cannot recall her name right Elizabeth now. Mitchell. Elizabeth Mitchell. Yeah, <laughs> I loved her. She was great in it. Um, I did feel like the Frozen arc was a little bit shoehorned in. I think that Brave was did a bit of a better job, kind of being implemented into the story this season than. Frozen did. Frozen seemed like, boom, we're doing Frozen. Mm -hmm. And Brave, it's kind of like, look, we're doing Brave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we don't really see any of the consequences from Frozen anymore. Kind of, it just kind of was there, and now it's not. And again, we talked about that. That's them and their writing. That's them and their writing. (laughs) So many flaws. You know, you should hold them accountable. They should should take responsibility for their flaws as writers. And they, they, it would be nice if they would improve. Um, but at this point, it's like, you know, I have to kind of accept it if I want to keep watching and enjoying the show. Yeah. It's the, the strength of the show is the characters and the actors and, you know, the fairy tale roots. Um, consistency is not the strength of the show. <laughs> but, but when they do well with it, they do really well. They do really yeah. well. Um, it's, it's interesting that it wasn't the show that I expected from season one. Because from season one, I was kind of expecting, like, you know, a a revisionist telling. And I was really intrigued by it, but it never kind of reached the potential or, like, the show I expect it to be. And now it's kind of a different show itself. I agree. I feel mm -hmm. like season one is an entirely different beast. Mm -hmm. And season one is so great to me. It is. I think it's still, like, the crowning moment of... Once upon a time, it was really great. Well, it's um, like they're it's like a complete arc from one, from the pilot to the mm-hmm. to the finale. Where now these the it's kind of, they've kind of been doing half seasons mm-hmm. with well, I mean like full seasons, but ha- half like season arcs. half season arcs where the Frozen arc was only the first half of season mm-hmm. four. Yes. Yeah, and so like in the Peter Pan one was only one half, yes. and like the the Oz one was only half. Like mm-hmm. a lot of these a lot of these arcs now are just like I, I mean I, I'm all for contained storytelling across 13 or so episodes because I think you can do a really good job with a contained story. But I think that season one really worked well because it was a full, like, they knew what they were doing from one to 22, from episode one to episode 22. And, like, but you really don't know what's going to happen in the second half of the season, whether or not they're, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing the Dark One arc ends yeah. in the mid-season finale because that's their trend has mm-hmm. been mid-season finales have been usually the, the ending arc of each of these stories. I'm not a fan of, of half-season arcs, honestly. I feel like... Neither am I. I like full-season arcs, um, but I guess it's the detriments of... the drawbacks of uh, primetime television. You have 22 episodes, so you have to stretch it out, or you either stretch it out or split it in half. Mm-hmm. And I guess they thought they would do stronger storytelling by splitting it in half. Which is why I think that I'm more excited for this season, because I feel like this season, it's going, it's going to have the sort of half-split, but they're going to bleed into each other much more than the past. Cause, mm-hmm. um, so we have, they just cast Hercules and Meg mm-hmm. for the second half of this season. Um, and so we're going to be getting that mytholo- mythology. And I, be- I have a theory that something is going to happen to hook possibly dying. They have- and they're going to have to go to the underworld to mm-hmm. get him. Now, you know, obviously Hercules mythology different than like Camelot mythology, but Something's going to happen to him as a consequence of this Dark One story. Yeah. And so I feel like they are going to connect more than, say, like, Pan and then Oz and then Frozen and then Queens of Darkness. 
they're going to connect more, and so I think this is this is why this season is going to be stronger. Yeah, yeah. From what I've seen of this season, binging it for a full two days, I really like it so far. Um, I think, it, yeah, against again, it's stronger because you know they're building their own mythology, they're telling their own story now, um, even despite you know throwing in a, an occasional brave reference. Um, and the Camelot, like in Camelot. it's really like this arc is really Camelot plus the Dark One mm-hmm. with a mixture of brave. Um, so I'm, re- and I know that the Hercules arc is only, not the arc, but the, I know they've been, ca- they, Hercules and Meg have been cast for one episode right mm-hmm. now, so I don't know if that's, if that, if that's what they're, if they're, if the, if the next half season is about, is, is like dealing with the Hercules mythos, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure, but that would be interesting, um, so, that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I like when it doesn't depend so much on the Disney, um, mother, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's roots. Um, it just kind of goes off on its own story. Uh, and I'm going to plug Kingdom Hearts here because it's one of my favorite video games, mostly because it's Disney, but it actually is also another story that became much stronger once it stopped relying so much on the Disney stories and the jumping from Disney World to Disney World and um, just creating its own characters and strong mythology and strong backstory and stuff. Although, let's be real, Kingdom Hearts as a franchise has one of the most complicated, it's confusing stories <laughs> in any video game. Seriously, honestly, I play these games, and if I'm like, what? I don't understand. What's happening? What's going on? What's the story? I don't even care anymore. I've tried to understand this story, and I don't. This story is so confusing. I'm going to say it's very Japanese. Like, if you've read or, like, watched any animes, they get this convoluted, too. Um, And it's just like, who are all these people? Why is everyone a clone of someone else? (laughs) (laughs) There are literally two versions, like, three versions of one person. And, you know, it's it, but it's... It really hits all the It's so good. I love Kingdom so Hearts. Well. It's just yes. overly complicated. I'm really excited for Kingdom Hearts 3. Um, I have, Whenever it comes out. Yeah, I have not played all of the prequel games and like the all, the other console player games. And but, like the, the .5 video yeah. games. It's like 2.5. But well, those are just like um, re-releases of oh. all the games. So they're, re- they're like HD remixes. Yeah, like re-releases of like, they kind of compile all the other console games. Mm. Um, but I, I have watched the walkthroughs. For, <laughs> so have I. Mm-hmm. That's how sleep. I know the story. Yeah, and I and oh god, it's so sad. <laughs> it's, it, it gets really depressing. Will be if you ever want to play it. We oh, I made him play Kingdom Hearts the first one. We didn't finish it. Yeah, we were like we're at the, we're at the final battle. Mm-hmm. We're, at, we're we we made it past Chernobog. Spoilers for the first Kingdom Hearts that's thirteen mm-hmm. years old. But yeah, so I HT and I we were playing it a couple years ago, and I was just like, there's so much like so it's. It's like a really. It's like the like when I saw when I started watching Once Upon a Time, I was like, oh, this is very Kingdom Heartsy, where mm-hmm. it's like jumping from world to world and different characters interacting with each other. So I think that that's a really interesting like adult version of the House of Mouse, where you've got all these <laughs> characters interacting with each other in like life threatening situations, where um, the revisionist uh, storytelling mm-hmm. comes into play. Yeah. So I think. Do you have any? I think, yeah, I think these are how we feel about Disney live action stories and film and television and video video games, not live action, but taking their mythos Mm -hmm. and putting it in there. Um, If you guys have any thoughts on Disney live action films or Once Upon a Time, you guys should tweet us, comment on our Facebook, Mm -hmm. uh, comment on the blog, which, speaking of Willoughby, where can they find all that stuff? Oh, well, 
We we haven't done our love hate segment yet. Right. Oh my god. We've been so entranced with Disney that we haven't gotten <laughs> I to got, I got the so ending segment. Caught up in Disney. So they'll have to. You guys will have to find out where we are, where where we can find us on the internet after our love hate segment. Yes. All, All right. right. Um, Anya, why don't you go first? Um, what right. do you love this week? What do you hate this week? So I'm going to go with something I love, which is none of us have ever done sort of a hate thing yet. I know. We're very optimistic. I'm actually going to do very a hate positive. thing. Oh, you're going to do a hate yeah. thing? Oh, okay. I mentioned this a little earlier in the episode, but. <laughs> okay. Oh, wait. Okay. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure more hate things will come up in time, but um, I'm going to say that what's making me happy this week and what I'm loving is a person. <gasps> and that would be Amy Poehler. Who is wonderful. She is a role model of mine. I think she's absolutely delightful. Um, a great influence on young girls, especially with her Smart Girls program, which I have been kind of getting more into and reading more about, and I think it's just wonderful. Um, Can you describe what that is? Um, so, like, Smart Girls is basically, I need to, like, kind of look it up now because I want to, like, make sure I get this right. <laughs> um it's like an initiative by Amy Poehler. Yeah, right? it's like this initiative for girls to kind of do... It's a community and an initiative for young girls to kind of get into activism um, and start doing things in their community, um, start learning more things. It's basically just a way to encourage and value young girls. Um and help them, it says on their website, it help young people cultivate their authentic selves. Um, they celebrate curiosity over gossip. You can be yourself. You can, you know, discover what you want to do in life. So I just think it's a really great initiative. And then just her as a person, as an actress, just makes me happy. I've been going back and watching a lot of Parks and Rec lately because I've missed it. And I feel like it's been hitting me kind of all over again what a perfect show that was. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to get that feeling back of it because there's like a Parks and Rec shaped hole in my heart. Um, and Amy Poehler is a big part of that. So I'm really excited. I'm What I'm so happy about is that she's going to be in so much media in the upcoming month because she's going to be in Sisters with Tina Fey on December 18th. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> although, weirdly enough, the new trailer that was released said December 12th. Huh. So I'm kind of confused now. I wonder if they're pushing it forward because of that other movie. Star Wars, I know. Oh, yeah, that other movie. If, if anyone has any clarification on that, let us know. Uh, maybe the trailer was wrong. I saw no. a trailer that said the 18th when I saw it in... I saw, yeah. I saw Mockingjay yesterday, and they played that trailer. Ironically enough, they didn't play the Star Wars trailer. They played, like, every other movie that's coming out in the next three months. You'd think they played before Mockingjay, You would too. think they would. You would think Star they Wars would, like, need a trailer. That's the other thing I was thinking of while I was watching the theater... Watching it in the theater, I was like, they don't need to actually play it. I would like to see it. I would like to see the five the surround speakers. But, um, yeah, they didn't play it. But they played the Sisters trailer, and it was, um, I think they said the 18th. It could have been the 12th, because 12 and 18 kind of look similar, and I wasn't really paying attention. Um, I mean, I misheard it. Maybe that trailer was wrong. I don't know, but it's weird. Anyway, she's going to be in that, which I'm very excited for. She's going to be in A Very Merry Christmas on Netflix, and she and Tina Fey are also co-hosting the Christmas SNL episode. So I'm about to have a lot of Amy Poehler in my life, <laughs> and I am so excited, because whenever I do, my life just gets infinitely better. So she's Amy Poehler. She's a of sunshine. She is. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, so that's me. 
All right, um, I'll go next. Um, you, I haven't finished watching Jessica Jones, which just, which just dropped um, Friday, because I was busy binging Once Upon a Time. Are you going to say you hate Jessica Jones? No, I haven't finished watching. So, no, this is, I'm, this is my precursor. Oh, this is not way. Yeah. Okay, because you said so, you Because I was going to say, I, I, if I had finished it, I would say is my love. But because I haven't finished it, I won't talk about it. Okay, so you, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I get it. Okay. Yeah, don't worry. So, my hate <laughs> this week is the, it's kind of a continuation for this particular movie. It's Ghost in the Shell, which I mentioned earlier in the episode. And they mentioned that they're casting uh, Sam Riley uh, as the villain in the. Who was in Maleficent. Oh. Ironic, like now, so like he played Diaval, and he was wonderful in it. He's, was a good guy in that movie. Yeah, Diaval. Yeah, Diaval is. Um, they make it's her crow, mm-hmm. Raven, mm-hmm. crow or Raven. I right. forget which. Um, and he's it's a shapeshifter. Yeah, okay. Raven. He's a shapeshifter in Maleficent. Yeah, um, and my issues with this, who, which um, Scarlett Johansson is also the lead in this movie. Um, my issues with this is that it's an ad- adaptation of a anime um from japan um that was it's based in like futuristic tokyo and there's been no like live action from japan earlier and they're doing you know an american adaptation but my problem is you know erasure of people of color especially uh, asian actors who don't get a lot of chances in hollywood for these kind of roles especially like big blockbuster roles um, and it's like if they don't get the chance for movies that are from Asia and like are set in Asia, then where will they get that chance? So, yeah, I mean, like I love Scarlett Johansson. I like Sam Riley from I don't know what I've seen him in, but I feel like I like him. <laughs> you you like him when he's not cast in this? Yes, it's just like because he's great in Maleficent, and I'm excited for him in Pride mm-hmm. and Prejudice and Zombies, but not this one. No. So I think it's it's just like a it's this unfortunate trend that's still going on. Um, like well, they're doing it with Death Note too. They're doing it with Death Note, which I think, and like Acura too. Acura, which is another anime, I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt is um, attached to it in some way. And I, you know, I understand wanting to remake, wanting to make it for American audiences and like make it more accessible. But why not have Asian actors or actresses? Why not you know broaden your diversity in movies that are already like ninety percent white? I don't have exact stats on me, but it's still a problem. Like, if, for example, there was a um, Hollywood Reporter, um, oh, no, what magazine that came out recently that oh, had, like, the cover? Uh, are you talking about... Uh, it's the, the Oscar. Wi- yeah, the, the women of the, the women, Oscars. And it, yeah. was, it was all white women. Yeah. And so it was just, like, I saw this really great tweet on, about it that was, like... I think it was the Hollywood Reporter. I think it was Hollywood Reporter, yeah. yeah. And it was a Hollywood Reporter a magazine cover of just, like, you know, all the p- potential Oscar women. Although, like, there are two people who were definitely not in any Oscar movies for this year. Um, and it was just, like, all white women, half of them blonde. And there was a great tweet I saw that, w- that compared that with two, TV- two magazines that were about TV. And it was, like, all the Shonda Rhimes people. It was just so diverse. And, you know, it's just... Hollywood is still very backwards, I think, when it comes to diversity. And, and more casting. specifically, the movies, too. Mm, the movies. like, that was the point, was that it was about TV, mm-hmm. I think. TV is definitely, like, making strides. Like, we have, for the first time, a um, Fresh Off the Boat, which is a you know, Asian family, which we haven't had since Margaret Cho's American Girl back in the 90s. Um, and then um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, mm-hmm. uh, Josh Chan, um, they just had an episode about his Filipino family, and it was kind of like, I think it... An article said it was like the first 
kind of representation of a Filipino family, and it was done really well. Yeah. And like Willoughby said last week, uh, last episode, Master of None has mm-hmm. a really great um, Asian actor and like really great diversity as well that tell full stories for these characters that aren't just stereotypes. And they go into their the, the immigrant family mm-hmm. past and like all that. I talked about it in the previous episode, so you guys can check that out. But yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's unfortunate casting. I feel like it's still going to happen. Uh, nothing I say complain about will change it. But in the future, I do have a request for Hollywood and Marvel, actually, um, with the theme of Jessica Jones coming out this this week, I think that they should cast an Asian American for Iron Fist, who is the last of the Defenders coming out on Netflix. Um, he's traditionally, uh, Dan- Danny Rand is traditionally like a blonde, white guy who, you know, goes to China and like punches a dragon or something and learns like the ancient ways of martial arts. But the thing is, like, it's all very steeped in Asian culture. And it's just kind of like, it's his role as like an outsider is kind of important to his story. But I think that you can still do it with an Asian American man who, you know, has never really been connected to his culture. He's only known his life in America. And it's like about him rediscovering his roots or, you know, still being an outsider, but like, kind of learning this whole other part of his culture. Um, yeah, fingers crossed, because Marvel's had the chance to mm-hmm. make bold casting decisions, and they haven't. No, well, Jessica Jones was a step in, the great, in a great direction, because there's the majority of the cast was female, um, there was great LGBT representation, and there was, like, two white guys, and they're both kind of terrible people. Well, one of them And Luke Cage is great. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, that's my hate for this week. Um, just going to rant about my diversity. So, Willoughby. Good thing to rant about. Yeah. Willoughby, what is yours? Mine actually is Jessica Jones because I have completed it because I don't have any, I have too much time on my hands. <laughs> right, um, no, no big spoilers because 18 no, I have I, I won't spoil yet. it. I will just say that I really am loving it because like, like HT just said, it's got great representation, great diversity. Uh, it's incredibly feminist. It's incredibly inclusive, and like like you get, like you guys are saying, there's two white guys as the main, not main, as like they're the only white guys, and they one of them is the worst person imaginable, mm-hmm. and the other guy is a dick. <laughs> he's just like he he's good. He he starts out in, okay, and then he kind of he goes through a character arc and he he, he becomes an asshole, um, <laughs> and so. And the main characters of the show are Jessica Jones, her her friend, uh, Patsy Walker, Trish Walker in the show, because her name is Patricia. Um, but her, I think her character, her comic book character, she's Patsy. Mm-hmm. And then in this show, she's she's a grown-up, and she's an adult, and she's on a talk show, so they call her Trish. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kind of go back and forth. Because she used to be a child actress, yes. and she was like Patsy Walker and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and Jessica Jones, she's this... Hard-boiled detect- private investigator detective. She like she's, you know, she day drinks all the time. She, you know, she's gone. She was a former superhero. She's gone through a trauma, and she's she. They they do, they they show PTSD really well. Like they they do a really good job of presenting it in a realistic fashion. Obviously, with visuals because you can do that with TV shows and stuff. Um, but just the the. Like I cringed a lot when when they had certain characters come on screen because I was just so I had to, I flinched and I, I couldn't look because it was so creepy. Um, yeah, and, and like I just want to say like it's I've only three episodes in, but like I read the Bendis 
comic when they announced they were doing this. And, like, reading that comic was hard enough. Mm-hmm. Like, Kilgrave is terrifying. Yeah. And, like, reading it and seeing it just in pictures is hard enough. But I found that, like, watching it, while done incredibly well, and mm-hmm. I'm enjoying it, watching it can be really tough. Yeah. It can. And, it like, there's, like, there's a lot of triggers in this show, but I think that they handle what they, t- these subjects very well. Like, they don't glorify, they don't sexualize anything, they don't go overboard like certain HBO shows that will remain nameless. Yeah. Which, I'm <laughs> sure HT and I will talk as a hate subject later on in another episode in I think you um, But, no, so, 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 like, they do... That should be an entire episode later one day, by the way. <laughs> I actually have an idea for that. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. So, hey! Spoilers! I, so I, th- I think that like, if you want a really great noir to, to watch, Jessica Jones is amazing. But it's also part of the MCU, so they t- and but they do, like, what Daredevil did, where they don't really, they connect it for, like, they reference other things that have happened, like the, the, the Battle of New York, mm-hmm. and they talk about superheroes, because Jessica Jones is a superpowered being, and so is Luke Cage. Um, and so they talk about, like, how, you know, they're gifted, and, you know, they talk about, like, oh, are we like the other guys, like, the flag wearer, like that was one of the other, that was what she called Captain America. Flag or, waver and like yeah, the big green the, the guy. big green dude and stuff. <laughs> so like, it's, but like Daredevil before it, it's really centered in the characters and their own story. And it's not, the the word shield is never brought up. Avengers is never brought up. Like it's, it's very much engrossed in its own storytelling mm-hmm. with Kilgrave and Jessica Jones and the whole, the whole Purple Man arc. It's just, it's really great television, and it's really great, like, noir. It's got the smooth jazz in the background of, these, <laughs> of the city shots of her walking around, you know, with a camera and stuff. And it's got the narration. She's got her own, you know, office that's really just her apartment. It says Alias Investigations <laughs> on it. Probably operating illegally out of that building. No, I think she's a certified uh, PI. Oh, that's true. But, yeah. like, does she have a residence? Carrie Ann <laughs> Moss is this uh, great lawyer who, in the comics, is a man, right? I think. No, actually, she doesn't exist in the comics. I thought they gender bent her. Um, she's not. A, she's an original character. Oh, she's an original the, character. For okay. The show. Um, and so, but she's great in it. Um, uh, I forget the actress's name, but whoever plays Trish Walker, she's great. You know, she's this empowered woman who is trying. You know, after what happened to Jessica, she like uh, took on uh, Krav Maga to like you know d- defend herself. And I think that this show is just. It's all, like, HC, I think there was a, a headline I, I linked to you where it's, like, Jessica Jones is the feminist, hard-boiled detective show with superpowers that you, you've you been looking for. And that's, like, three of your favorite things. Three of my favorite things. Feminism, noir, and superheroes. Yeah. So it's just, it's great. If you like Daredevil, if you like anything, if you, anything like that, it's it's perfect. So. Yay! And it's got, I won't spoil the ending, but the ending is so good. <laughs> like yeah. uh ht we have to finish yeah i know i'm definitely watching it after we record this podcast so am i <laughs> all right so let us know what you guys think about those topics do you guys love amy poehler are you unhappy as well with the casting like ht is what do you think of jessica jones let us know all right and where can they let us know willoughby okay. time for that you can find us on twitter at falcon podcast and if you search for us on facebook the millennial falcon podcast where can we find where can the internet people find us? Um, you can find me at, at @htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dabs on Twitter. 
Oh, and I also have a plug. I was on a podcast recently, The Cosmic Potato, uh, which I recorded yesterday, about um, TV shows that were canceled too early. So please check that out as well. Awesome. And don't forget to check us out and subscribe to us on iTunes. Yes, very important. iTunes is great. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.